0: You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes. And I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. This is the Engaging Missions Show, Episode 253. This week, we're talking with Marcus Rose about boldness and the importance of discipleship.
1: It's never about what does the church want me to do, but always going back to that: where where do you want me to work on?
0: Welcome to the Engaging Missions show, where we are bringing missions home. Here's your host, Brian Ensignal. Thanks so much for stopping by and welcome to the show. We want to provide ways for you to hear a message, make connections, and take action. And I do want to mention that this show is made possible in part by generous support from listeners like you visit engagingmissionscom slash patron to learn more about how you can be involved. And I also want to mention in case you didn't know this, that you can have the show notes complete with links and everything delivered right to your inbox. If you're interested in doing that, visit engagingmissionscom slash newsletter, sub- subscribe right there. And that those will be delivered to you so that you don't have to go searching for them this week. We have a great conversation with Marcus Rose. He's from East Germany, and he started outreach back in 1985 when he was 15 years old. After the wall between East and West Germany came down, he had some really interesting and really really cool times of ministry where they were able to do some really, really cool stuff but he had kind of an interesting journey that also involved a crisis of faith and that that spanned multiple countries and ultimately led him to a renewal of faith when he was 24 in Thailand, through some local believers right there in Thailand. Since that time, he's been planning churches all across Europe. I really enjoyed this conversation. I really appreciated the simple truths that Marcus was able to share from his experience and from his time in the Word. And I think you're going to really enjoy this as well. I don't have a whole lot of history other than what I've read or what I've seen to understand the reality of... Germany before the wall came down. Can you kind of set the stage for us about what it was like to come to faith in East Germany?
1: I grew up with two Christian parents who are really amazing people, Mm. and that helped a lot. My dad always told me the story that there was one day in his life, probably shortly after he had met my mom, who was a believer already at that time. And he always described that there was a a paper on his on his desk to join the Communist Party and that would have meant that he could have become a head nurse. He was working as a nurse at that time. And there was also the Bible that my mom had given him. And he knew if he would choose the Bible, if he would choose to become a Christian, if he would choose to follow Jesus, that would be the end of a career. And if he would join the Communist Party, that would be, for East Germany, a comfortable life. Mm. And that was definitely part in my of my personal upbringing uh, bringing right from the start when i think of my childhood it was always clear everybody was lying nobody was a real communist barely anybody was a real communist but everybody was playing along so in 85 i never saw the the oppression that people had in the 50s or probably in the 60s i was too young for that it was more a very hypocritical society where everybody was afraid of of having negative consequences if they speak up if they behave differently that was expected from them but i had seen my parents my dad had become a Lutheran pastor later and that meant they pretty much lost all their income and seeing their example made it easy for me to look for god and and say i want to i want to know who i really am that's right. But in my class, in my classes uh, at school, I was usually the only one who was a member in one of the communist youth organizations. That was, I'm actually grateful for that. It made it always very clear you have to take a very clear stance, or there will be nothing left. Hmm. Did that answer your question, Brian?
0: Yeah, I think so. What it sounded like was that within the culture, your family kind of stood out a bit because you. Yes. Lived a life of integrity. Not that everybody else believed something completely different, but that they were willing to walk differently than they believed. Is that accurate? That might actually
1: be right. I always remember my parents as people of great integrity. My dad just had his 70s birthday, and all our relatives were there. And my sister, my wife, my sister's husband, we just shared with all of them one more time, and probably never as strongly as, as now, what we learned from my dad's life about the character of God. And that was that was just amazing. It was just amazing because they all looked at this and they knew it was true.
0: After the wall fell, you had a season that was kind of a crisis of faith. Can you share with us what led to that? I think I grew up in this,
1: in this mindset i will never forget this one situation where we were sitting on the dinner table with my with my family and there was one of my cousins present and that was before the war came down and my cousin said everything is so much better in the west you have 100 different kinds of pasta and there's so much variety and he said hmm at the end it's all food right hmm. and it expressed it expressed so strongly this believe my parents had it's a sinful world on one side of the wall it's golden then on the other side of the world but at the end it's all the same it's it's all a world that is not as god originally wanted it and and so when the wall first came down for in east germany for two years everything was possible the laws didn't apply anymore so I was only 17 at that time, but together with my friends at age 17, 18, we went into all the schools in the whole county. And we asked the headmasters if we can share about Christ. And they led us into the classes. So we could, we could share about Jesus with every single one in the school. And then on the weekend, we would do something like a, a group meeting, inviting all the people to come. And we saw people really getting saved. That was amazing. After about two years, two or three years, when the reunification of Germany started to come in, then everything changed. It became a very tight system, and the West German system took over. And for me at that time, I had nothing to do with it. I, I did not know how to behave anymore. I had not at that time I had not learned to reach out to people on the street. I was just floating with relationships that I had, and none of that worked anymore as before. So out of my personal conversion, out of this experience when I was fifteen, to be really called by God and starting to churches, starting to start churches, I did not know how to do it anymore. Hmm. So I never, I never denied Jesus. I never said anywhere I don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But I did not know how to live with this Jesus anymore. Suddenly everything was possible, and on the other hand, was not possible. And churches that I met were were much more sore with themselves than than with reaching out to the lost. I just did not know what to do. And in that period I had started to study theology and German liberal theology because I didn't know better. So I got confused. How reliable is the Bible? If I don't know what to do with my Jesus, then what are we going all together? Mm. And that led to a personal that led to a personal, when I say crisis of faith, I was not actively following Jesus anymore because I did not know how to do it. That I had not learned.
0: That's, that's really interesting. I hear about some of the challenges that come with changing cultures, especially as a missionary. And I, I'm wondering, yeah. was, was that what was happening to you as well?
1: For me, it's one of the, one of the big traumas of my life. When I was a teenager, especially during that period when the war came down, I wanted to do the will of God. I wanted to see people being saved. And I was actually, that's how it feels to me. I was running around in Germany trying to find people I could learn from. Nowadays, I would say I was actually looking for somebody to disciple me. I was looking for a group of people, more experienced than me, willing to step out, willing to reach out, willing to disciple me and willing to help me to disciple others. And when I didn't find that, I I felt just lost. Um, I still remember times when I studied theology in a university town in Germany. And there could be moments when atheists talked about religion. And I thought, that is so non-logical what you guys share. And I took a very strong Christian perspective. And then two or three days later, I heard people consider themselves Christians talk with each other about Jesus. And again, it felt like, guys, it's so naive what you guys are sharing. And I took not an atheist, but a very critical point of view. And that was definitely because I was lost. Hmm.
0: After, after a season of that, you found yourself in Thailand. I'm wondering what, what led you to Thailand and then what happened while you were there?
1: Actually, I, I realized quite early after about two years, I realized that I am lost and I did not know who I was anymore. And the close relationship with Christ that I had, that was not there anymore. So I, for the first time again, I really cried out to God and said, if you're still there, get me out of here. So I actually took the first job I could get and I was a nanny in Nashville, Tennessee for one year.
0: Hmm.
1: And when I was living in Nashville, I, nothing, nothing changed over there. So I was desperately trying to get my life back in order. And one of the things that I thought could help me was actually getting a girlfriend, getting married. And I always loved my parents' relationships. So I thought that would be the solution to stability back into my life. And I finally got myself a girlfriend that was actually Thai national in Nashville, Tennessee. And mm-hmm. because of that relationship, I moved to Thailand. Arriving there, she told me, if you want to learn the language, you better go to a Christian church than to a Buddhist temple. The Christians are more honest. She herself was not a believer. She was traditionally Buddhist. That was all, but that was her advice. So I looked for a couple of, looked at a couple of churches that were public and I found them boring. And then one day in the English speaking town magazine, I saw five advertisements of churches over perfect English and one was the lousiest English I've ever read. And I knew this is the church I'm going to because I'm going there to I was my my objective to go there. So when I when I went first Sunday, I I came in and it was very different from what I've ever experienced. I realized there's a very different atmosphere in the church and I decided church I'm going to go again. Hmm. When told my girlfriend at that time that this is the church I chose. She was not happy because the church had a reputation of being the most outreaching church in town. The, this church had a bad reputation because they were really reaching out and people became believers and people got baptized and people started churches. But for me, that was the, that was the connection to my, to my childhood, to my teenage years. And it really showed me, I'm at the other side of the world, but people live out. Matthew 28, in a way I had, with all my naivety, tried to reach out when I was a teenager. That helped me a lot. It still took a year to come back to God, but for one year, I was just welcome to show up whenever
0: I wanted to. That, that experience, how, how has that experience at that Thais church now shaped what you're doing? I,
1: I First of all, I saw people reaching out, It just happened everywhere. It was not just organized events. It was going to the park and talking with people while they were doing sports. It was deliberately going to university, going to the cafeteria, and sit down on doing questionnaires with people, trying to get to know people. So I saw them reaching out, and I saw them reaching out beyond subcultural groupings. At that church, there were former prostitutes. There were Mercedes-Benz drivers. There were very old ladies who barely could read, and there were very young highly intellectual PhD holder. So that's that really the gospel has to be shared. That was the first thing I saw. The second thing I I saw already when I when I hadn't recommitted to Christ was that I that I saw they had a sort of discipleship structure. I didn't understand it before I really became part of it, but I saw it was there. I saw that people were being serious. People were reading Bible one on one. People were praying together. It was Even if they had central meetings, it was always there. And very, very early, I realized, well, this is just a daughter church of a a church that was started in 91 in Bangkok. And supposedly they are starting churches all over the country. And again, it was, it was just happening. And I looked at the people and, okay, if that is truly happening here, probably I can learn from it. The moment in 97, there was one evening when I, For me, it felt like I hear the voice of God personally. And it was really up until today, I can describe it like that. It was, it was feeling like God saying to me, when you were 15, I called you. I haven't changed my mind. You have changed. I haven't changed. The calling is still up. And that moment I had such a fear of God and I said, I want to, I want to come back. And it was really like the prodigal son coming back and saying, I just want to serve you. I don't care about the rest. I just want to be back and I want to serve. And from day one, one of the one of the Thai couples, they were both jazz musicians, they usually played in lobbies or hotels to make enough money. But the most of their time that I actually went into the kingdom of God, when I told them that I had recommitted to Christ, they didn't see that. I just told them. They said, Okay, let's start to disciple you and they took me out in the countryside when they every Saturday went out in the countryside to stop new churches. So they took me along. Very early, day, they said, why don't you start to reach out to non-Tai people? They are a completely unreached group in our city. So for me to see that, how they did all of that, and how it was really working, that was very influential in the beginning. But then, I think it was only three months after I recommitted to Christ, one of the more experienced leaders from, from the church in that town came to me that, Marcus, we have prayed, could you really reach out to non thai people? And I didn't want that, but I felt that was, that was God saying, go forward. And from that day on, I was, I was trying to, I was 24 at the time. I was trying to just figuring out a way to reach people. And they supported me in doing it. So right from the beginning, it was, yes, I was part of that church, but I was already being sent out, being supported to start something. New. To start an international group, today to I would say I started an international church already.
0: That's I mean, that's a that's a pretty quick turnaround. If I if I think about it, just a a few months. I'm wondering, as far as that reaching out to non Thai people, why was it that you didn't want to do that at first?
1: Oh, no, I knew how I was. I was very during during the years that I wasn't following Christ. I was an intellectual cynic. Mm. I I had opinions about everything. I was very I was very arrogant. I couldn't make jokes about anything. I could always see the hold in somebody's argument. But at the end of the day, I I had nothing I was really basing my own life on. So I knew that the most restaurants would be like. And then, of course, I was in Thailand. I always described it like that. In our city, there were some missionaries. I didn't want to reach out to the missionaries. They were supposed to have their own outreach, right? Mm-hmm. And then there were... There were tourists, and then there were all the rest, and all the rest were all the Europeans, Americans, Australians with very young Thai girlfriends, most of them very messed up. There were people who'd come for Thai Buddhist meditation, so it was not the easiest crowd. I knew what I was getting into. My first Bible study group, there were people who were, were psychologically sick, there were people who were sex tourists, there were people who were dealing with drugs, It was, That was not an easy group of people to be around with. And for me, it was a perfect opportunity to learn to love people despite who they are and what they look like.
0: I appreciate you sharing that. One of the things, and you kind of answered this, a lot of times we talk about results when when we do some kind of ministry, we talk about the results. I was more interested in in the results in you, and it sounds like one of those, at very least, was learning to love. Was there anything else in your life that came out of that?
1: It's interesting that you mention we are very focused on results, and, and usually we don't talk much about the fruit of the spirit and how that grows in us if we are if we're obedient, if we learn to overcome ourselves. I love results, don't get me wrong, but when I think of the first couple of months in Thailand, the believers around me gave me an po- opportunity to learn, and they challenged me con- continuously. They challenged my faith when it came down to supernatural work of God. They continued to challenge my faith when it came down to how much money do I need? How do I use my time? How much sleep do I want to spend? They challenged my, my whole perspective about what could church be like? Can somebody who is just reconnected with Christ start something and be in a training process? All of that happened, and that was amazing. But for me, actually, the first 15 months after recommending to Christ, there was a period where I learned to reach out, and I didn't see any fruit. I baptized one Austrian guy who used to be a cameraman for the national TV station. He had an accident many years before I ever met him, a motorcycle accident. And he fell on his head, and he was definitely there was definitely some something wrong in his uh, in his thinking. Um, yeah. The the way he bumped his head that had an effect on his life. But because I had seen the Thai guy's example, I knew this guy was having problems, and he was being he was being not treated fairly by Thai people around him. So I took him into my room, and it was a very small room, and we actually lived together for half a year. And I had to take care of him. When I went to work, I had to take him along. When I went to evangelize, I had to take him along. And at the very end, he, he really had a personal encounter with God and he got baptized and that was after about a year and it was just sticking with the guy and that definitely shaped my life forever. It, it reshaped what I think relationships should be like towards people, but especially in the kingdom of
0: God. You've been planning churches for decades now, well over a decade for sure. If somebody were to sit down with you and ask you if you've discovered a key to success, what would you tell them?
1: Mm, I, would, I would tell them that's a very American question. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying that because I do want to see fruit, right? And, and talking about fruit is a bit different than talking about success. If I talk about fruit, then it's I would go back to the mustard seed and the potential to bear fruit is already there. And it's more like, is the environment, is what we do with that mustard seed, is it conducive for the mustard seed to grow up to its full potential or is it rather harming? Is there enough water? Is there enough sun? Is, there, is the soil good enough? And so on. But the potential is already there. But success is much more about how do we promote it? Do we have to write tricks and so on? When I went back to Germany in 99, I, I, I pretty much served along the Thai guys for two and a half years in Thailand and went back to Berlin in 99. I was not the man I, I am today. If people ask me, what's the success? I had never read a book about church planting. I had only what I had received as a, as a teenager in Germany and then what I had learned in Thailand. I went back to Berlin and I knew exactly one person but I had my own personal agreement with God. I was not as bold as I am now with people. So I knew if, if I would set myself a goal, I have to share the gospel with five people every day. It would just drive me nuts. I would, I would be so afraid I could not do it, but I knew I'm pretty good back then already. I was pretty good in getting to know people and leading a conversation in a way that I would share them. I moved back from Thailand and I want to start a church here and, And if they are interested, then I can go on. If they're not interested, the conversation is over. So I had an agreement with God that every single day of my of uh, the first year, I would try, I would try to at least have a conversation with two new people a day, and I would I would try to get into the conversation. I would tell them I'm here to start a church. And if they're interested, I would lead the conversation to a point where I I would say, Hey, if we do something in the future, would you like to be invited? Or can I meet you again? Can I have your telephone number? Can I have your email address? And that was just my personal, that was just my personal way of doing it. Now I've shared that with people over the years, but I don't think that's a key. That was just my very immature way of trying to, of trying to get to people of trying to get something started. I could also share that in Thailand, they had good discipleship and so on, but I realized very early already in, I came back in 99, already in 2002, 2003, one of my first, one of my early friends challenged me and said, Marcus, if you really want to become a church party movement, I have to tell you, I could not lead a Sunday service. I do believe that I can reach out. I do believe that I can disciple people. I'm fully behind everything that you are communicating. But if somebody would force me or if somebody would communicate, church needs to be something where I have to preach every Sunday. I, I would, I would not be able to do that. And actually this guy back then, he was, he was quite new in faith, but now he's a professor for mathematics. So this is a capable guy, but he told me, I cannot imagine doing that. And so I realized quite early, I would like to do the shift more to a house church, simple church approach, not as a rule for everybody, but because that is what the most people can do in their lives. So that is something that helped to create an atmosphere where people believe I can do it. At least the house church can always start around me. But but if you ask me, do I think that is the key to success? Then I would say no. What I try to do and what we have been, I think, very successfully trying to do all over the years, we have been trying to help people to go back into, we always call it the three steps of spiritual planning. The first step, go back and ask, what are the qualities God wants to establish in your life, in, through your life, in the ministry, in the world around you, I don't know, in the next year, in the next couple of months? Then if you know that, if you, if you have security about that, then go and ask God how much of your resources should you invest in that? How much of your time should you invest to achieve those qualitative new levels, this qualitative new goal? And if you know that, then go back to God and ask in what projects should you invest those resources to achieve those, those qualities and we call it next steps. And, because that is what we're actually trying to do in the discipleship with everybody continuously. I'm not saying it works well everywhere, but it is something that is, that is so normal. Sometimes people are even annoyed if we talk about next steps. That it created an atmosphere where people continuously go back to God and say, what do you actually want me to do? So Among us, it's never about what does the church want me to do or where am I needed, but always going back to God, where, where do you want me to work on in my personal qualities. How many resources should I invest and what project should I invest them in? And that's why that's why I have some luxury problems. Like in missions in Europe nowadays, I don't have to tell people that they have to do missions. They, people really have this desire to figure out what is the new qualities that God wants me to do. And they might have been afraid to even reach out. They might have been afraid to reach out to people of a different culture you might have been afraid to go to more wealthy people, more educated people or much less wealthy, much less edu- educated people that's what we would describe as as a new quality your level of faith grows, your level of love grows. So so I don't have for example I don't have to organize missions that is usually what is happening. We do coordinate So. Sarajevo would be one example. In one of the house churches, in one of the churches, somebody would say, I, I don't know, I, I've i never thought about Bosnia-Herzegovina. When I pray, I, I think about Sarajevo the whole time. I don't even know why. And somebody else might say, why don't we just take a trip down? We go down for three, four days, we walk around, we pray, we see if we get to know somebody, and let's see if that is really something that God has put in our hearts. And and this is, this is how sometimes the first house church starts somewhere, yeah. If that works, and that has been obviously working quite well over the last couple of years, then I'm not afraid that, you asked earlier about the key for success, right? Yeah. That, I would say, is a conducive environment where people are not held back by what I would say or church structure would say, but I would help them to do what they, in their heart, believe they should be trying to
0: do. Hmm. I I love that. You wrote that, multiplication needs personal discipleship. What did you mean by that? And why is it so critical?
1: The question is a bit larger. So where do I start? I would say the more, probably in that podcast, I don't need to stress the importance of discipleship, but to just start on that side. Hmm. There's all things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives, and there's the responsibility that we have for each other. And if I'm older in faith, if I'm more experienced in faith, if I, and I'm I'm not talking about having knowledge, I'm really talking about having experience of, of I stepped out in faith, I dare to do stuff, I dare to live with less money, I dare to invest my time, I dare to invest my life and my family in people, and this is the outcome of it. That is, that gives me, It gives me a couple of steps ahead of my brothers and sisters, and I have to learn to share that, and learning to share is not just sharing a testimony, but actually is praying with them, letting them see, supporting them, supporting them financially, time-wise, with whatever I have, so they can make similar experience. And I'm not sure if that's true, but one of the guys I've trained in the States, he said, Marcus, we, we have so many discipleship programs, But that I would consider is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about discipleship, taking people along, when no matter what I do, I will take people along. We will pray on the way there. We will evaluate on the way back. I will try to get them involved. That I do consider is Matthew 28. I don't know how we're going to raise a new generation of leaders all over the Western world. Not even considering the rest of the world, but um, I'm mostly involved in the Western world right now. Except you really get everybody involved. And so they have to see, even though I have a high-flying job, it's possible. Even though I have a family with young children, it's possible. They have to see it. They have to experience it. The personal level of, of, of really discipleship, I would say it's a matter of responsibility. If really people behind me start to stress themselves, stretch out and go back to God and say, what do you want me to do? They still live in a sinful world. Satan will not stand by on the sidelines and say, oh, this guy is getting bolder. He will attack this guy. He will make it tough. And our God will allow him from time to time to really do that. So to prepare somebody in personal prayer, in personal talks, prepare him theologically, prepare him in terms of life skills, looking through his schedule with him, working on him, working with him on his discipline, on his discipline in spending money and on his discipline in communication and his discipline in how to set goals for himself and so on. Those are things I can do that in a group setting, but a lot of times group settings are first of all not flexible enough. I need to get everybody together. If I have highly involved people, to get them together regularly is not that easy. I can do that much easier on the phone and a person-to-person conversation. But also some things are just too personal. I've been challenged by people over the years, Marcus, why don't you take people together more in groups? And and I would always say if it comes down to Iron Sharpens iron and we talk about our experience, then that's not a problem. If it comes really down to This is what we've talked about in recent months. What has been happening with it? Then I have to take time individually with people. And I have to ask them questions. And then, of course, there's still a group setting. So that is is running running through things with them. And then, I'm not sure if, if the listeners would agree, but to be able to go and do stuff because I do believe God wants me to do them, that will a lot of times make me a lonely person. Not because I like loneliness, I'm married, I have three kids, I have amazing friends around me. But I have to be able to say I'm doing that because my God wants me to do it. Not because it's an organization, that's a church that is, that is us doing it. And especially if I reach out and I am faithful with what God gives me. I should have at least one, hopefully more than one, but at least one person who feels responsible and will eventually visit me in person, but definitely will visit me, definitely will be there, proactively be there, if I have problems in my marriage, if my children go nuts on me, if, yeah, it's because I was bored, there's not enough finances, or I get in trouble, because people don't feel loved anymore, because I already have started something new and very visionary. Mm. So. It's always easy to say it's our responsibility. And at the end, our responsibility a lot of times means it's nobody's responsibility. So at least it should be someone's responsibility who is a head of faith and takes it, makes it his own responsibility.
0: Wow, that, that's good. As we draw this to a close, I'm wondering, how can we best pray for you? I love that question.
1: It was in 2017, early 2017, that I told God I'm the wrong man for the job. Not because I'm, I don't see what has happened, not because I'm not grateful for for all the things that have actually come into place, but I felt like I stuck in my character, in my personality. One of the things I would, I, would, I could, could describe is whenever I read the story about Jesus, how he went into the temple and how he got upset and he turned over the tables of the money changers and so on, I felt in my heart this kind of righteous anger I should feel as well, but I don't feel it. And if I would ever feel it, I would actually be very embarrassed to feel it. And I would like not to do anything that Jesus has done here. And I knew, and I always repented in the moment, I knew if my Jesus is like that, I should not just feel it like that. I should be willing to do stuff like that. So, but I realized I, I, was, I was stuck on that. I would say in the last one and a half years, I have really changed. I have changed because there were a lot of hardships. There were personal controversies. There were people who I trust with all my life who disappointed me. Mm. And for the first time also, I had to tell people I, I do not want to serve with them anymore because I think they're dangerous for other people. That is something I hadn't seen before. So I feel like I had a personal breakthrough. Not feel I can see it. So I see how I respond to things, how I react in situations. But I learned over the years, if a breakthrough is there, that can easily, that can easily be buried by all the other things that are happening in my lives and in other people's lives. And so I, I would really like to see that too, to grow steady, to grow steady. And there are certain things that I would like to, do more, God has been starting to talk to me about being more public and and I always said why and he was very clear and he said no, I'm not talking about a Christian scene, I'm not talking about YouTube, I'm really talking about being more outspoken being being much more bold when it comes down to public situations in, in a public place in, a, in mass transportation and so on and I'm really looking forward to that to see a righteous anger that the gospel is not shared, that injustice is everywhere, that there's much more boldness than ever before in my life and much less irritations than than I ever had in my life. That is definitely
0: what I want to see. Wow. For, for those of you listening, I would like to encourage you right now to go ahead and pause the recording and pray for Marcus. Pray for this boldness, for this righteous anger. Pray for God to make his path straight so that he can know the way that he should go and that God would illuminate that path for him. Marcus, I just want to say thank you so much for, for being here and for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Brian, for having me. I'd like to say one more huge thank you to Marcus Rose for taking the time to be with us. I really appreciate him opening his heart and his story so that we could learn from what God's done in his life and to to be better for it. I'd also like to say thanks to Jeff and Gabby for the ongoing work that they do to make this show wonderful. Show notes are available at engagingmissions.com slash Marcus Rose. That's where you're gonna find links to the things that we talked about as well as ways to connect with him Or if you're listening in your favorite podcast app because you've already subscribed to the show, you can very likely just tap or swipe or click through so that you can find those right there. Make sure that you come back in a couple of weeks. We're going to be hearing from Jonathan Frederick about how his entrepreneurial pursuits have opened up opportunities for him to share God's love to some people that really needed it. I think you're going to really enjoy that conversation. The best way to make sure that you don't miss that is to subscribe using your favorite podcast app. Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe, choose your favorite app, and then just subscribe to the show right there. And if you have a story of how you've been equipped challenged or inspired through the engaging missions show i'd love to hear from you send an email to feedback at engagingmissions.com one more time really looking forward to connecting with you in a couple of weeks